Amen. It is good to know that we can come to Jesus today just as we are. He saves us, He cleanses us, and He makes us His disciple. And so this morning we turn to John chapter 21, and we speak of the priorities of a disciple. John chapter 21. So open your Bible and follow along as we look at that great chapter this morning. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the blood that you shed for us, uh, paying that price on the cross for our salvation. And thank you, Lord, that you rose again from the dead and you appeared to your disciples over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, reminding them, Lord, of what their priorities are to be as disciples of Jesus. And so, Father, as we open your word today, We pray that you would guide us, Lord, into your truth and that you would challenge us and strengthen us, Lord, encourage us as we consider what the priorities of a disciple are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1930s, there was a man by the name of Ivy Lee who interviewed Charles Schwab. At that time, Charles Schwab was the president of Bethlehem Steel. And during the conversation, uh, Ivy Lee assured that if the management of Bethlehem Steel would follow his instructions, the company's operations would improve and their profits would increase. And so Schwab said to Mr. Lee, he said, Mr. Lee, if you can show us a way to get more things done, I'll be glad to listen. And if it works, I'll pay you whatever you ask within reason. So Lee handed Schwab a blank piece of paper and he said, write down the most important things you need to do tomorrow. So he did. He said, now number them in order of importance, which he did. And then he said, tomorrow morning, start at number one and stay with it until you complete it. Then go on to number two and number three and number four and so on. He said, don't worry if you haven't completed everything by the end of the day. At least you've completed the most important projects. Do this every day. And after you have been convinced of the value of your system, have your men try it. Try it as long as you like, and then send me your check for whatever you think it is worth. Now, you've got to remember, this was 1930. This is a long time ago. So a few weeks later, Charles Schwab sent Ivy Lee a check for $25,000, which in those days was a very huge amount of money. And Schwab said that learning how to prioritize and live by those priorities was the most profitable lesson he had ever learned. Living by priorities. When Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection, he made it very clear to them what their priorities ought to be. And if you examine this chapter, John chapter 21, I would suggest to you that you see three very clear priorities of a disciple. First one has to do with fishing. The priority of fishing for men. Fishing for men was a very common picture that Jesus used with his disciples. 
In fact, he used it so often that it became really a symbol of their mission. It started very early in his ministry in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him. Mark 1.16 says, As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Follow me. And you can probably finish it, right? I will make you a fisher or fishers of men. Then we come to Luke chapter 5 and we see this same picture again. Jesus had been teaching from the boat as the people were gathered on shore. Peter's boat it was. And when he was finished teaching, he told Peter to put out their nets in the deep water. Remember what Peter said, Master, we worked hard all night. We caught nothing. But I will do what you say. And so he let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And then Jesus said to Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. So there's a second time we see this picture. So we come to John chapter 21 and we see it for the third time. Peter and six other disciples went fishing. And John tells us then in verse 3 of our text, they went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. The disciples didn't know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They said, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. (laughs) That is the Lord. Now, in this third instance, uh, Jesus didn't say anything about fishing for men because he didn't need to. The disciples knew exactly what he was doing. He was reminding them of their mission in a way they couldn't have missed. Because that re, what we see here in John 21 is almost a repetition of Luke chapter 5. They knew what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus makes it clear to his disciples what they needed to be effective in fishing for men. It wasn't their own ability, wasn't their own wisdom, wasn't their own experience. When they went out on their own, they caught nothing. And I love how Jesus reminds them of this. He said, children, you don't have any fish, do you? You don't have any fish, do you? But when they followed Jesus' direction, notice how they experienced Jesus' blessing. Cast your net on the right side of the boat, you'll find a catch. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And John tells us they they had to literally drag the net to the shore. And of course, fishermen, they got to count them, right? (laughs) How big, big they are and how many. And we are told that there were 153 large fish. So what they failed to do on their own, they succeeded when they followed Jesus direction. Now, remember the day of Pentecost? Peter was preaching to those multitude of people that had gathered there for that feast. 3,000 souls were saved that day. 
What do you think was going through Peter's mind when on that day of Pentecost, as he was fishing for men, proclaiming the gospel, here's this huge number of people that came into the kingdom of God. I can't help but think he thought of these two times. The time in Luke chapter 5, the time in John chapter 21, where they could hardly gather all the fish in. There were so many of them. And Peter recognized by this that when you do it God's way, by God's power, God can accomplish some great things. Wonderful things. Now, after they caught all these fish... Jesus fed his disciples. They had been fishing all night. I'm I'm assuming they were pretty hungry. Jesus had a fire ready. Fish placed on it as well. I wonder where he got those. I don't think we have any question about that. Some bread as well. So he said in verse 12, come and have some breakfast. Come and eat. And then in verse 13, John says this. Jesus came, and listen to this carefully, and took the bread... And gave it to them, and the fish likewise. The reason I said take notice carefully what Jesus said, because this was a meal that reminded them of the last meal Jesus had with them prior to his death on the cross. In fact, the wording is almost identical. Listen to Matthew's account, Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, And after blessing, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Ah, that had to ring a bell. (laughs) Just the same as, as the institution of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this meal, after a night of fishing, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, reminded them of the Lord's Supper. It reminded these men that Jesus' body was broken for them. His blood was shed for their forgiveness. And they needed to be reminded of that, didn't they? Because they had all forsook Him and fled. And yet Jesus forgave them. And not only did He forgive them, Jesus said, the blood of this covenant is poured out for many for many. It wasn't just for the disciples this forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins was for many. And this was the message that they were to proclaim as they were fishing for men. Listen to Luke 24:46. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus said to them. You are proclaiming the message of forgiveness. You are proclaiming the message of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is what it means to fish for men. You proclaim the the message of the Gospel. So Jesus had a mission for these men. And He would use them in some wonderful ways in spite of how weak, how sinful they were. Uh, Bruce Milne says, These are ordinary men whom Jesus invited to His table of fellowship that day. Public failures like Peter, 
known doubters like Thomas, loyal and faithful souls like Nathaniel, and men of irascible temperament like the sons of Zebedee, and two others, we don't even know their names, background folks like, like these men. Then he says, to that deeply human company, Jesus opens the riches of his friendship. Ordinary men. Are you ordinary? I think most of us are pretty ordinary, right? Are you weak? Yes, we are. Do you ever fail? Yes, we do. Do you ever doubt? Yes, we do. Then you qualify, right? If you know Jesus, if you're his disciple, you're a fisher of men. And that's the first priority that Jesus illustrates here so clearly. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The second priority we see in this chapter, besides that of fishing for men, the priority of feeding the sheep. So after Jesus fed his disciples, he had a very interesting conversation with Peter about feeding his sheep. Look at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. He said, well, then tend my lambs, take care of my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, you've got to shepherd my sheep then. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now notice how Jesus begins questioning Peter by asking him, do you love me more than these? What's the these? Who are the these? seems to me that Jesus is referring here to what Peter said of how committed he was compared to the rest of the disciples. You go back to Matthew 26, verse 31. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised up, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus, you're all going to fall away. Peter said, no, I'm not going to fall away. Even if all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Lord, you can count on me. I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, notice how Jesus doesn't address Peter as Peter, the rock. He had been anything but a rock, right, prior to this. Jesus calls him Simon because he is confronting Peter about his own self-confidence. Everybody else might fail you, Jesus, but I won't. Peter will stand with you. You can count on me. Not these other guys, but you can count on me. And Jesus is helping Peter to recognize how dependent he was on him. 
in his own strength. Peter had failed, and he had failed miserably. Peter had denied Jesus three times, and so Jesus asks him three times, right? Peter had denied Jesus publicly, so Jesus confronts him here publicly in the midst of all the other disciples. Jesus is teaching Peter that in order to be restored, sin must be confronted and and forgiven. It seems to me that that Peter's answer to those questions shows that uh, he, he was learning his lesson. He thought he knew himself, didn't he? He thought he knew himself. Everyone else might deny but but not me. I'm the committed one. But now he confesses that the only one who really knows him is Jesus. Lord, you know all things. And what is wonderful about this is that the one who knows him the best still loves him and forgives him and restores him. You know, there's certain people that know us pretty well. Maybe our spouse, our siblings, our parents, our children. But there's no one who knows us really like Jesus. Lord, you you know all things. One author says, Peter discovered that no matter how desperate our failure or how deep-seated our shame, God can forgive us and renew us and use us in His service. Failure is never final with God. Aren't you thankful for that today? Failure is never final with God. How many times have you failed? How many times have you said, Lord, I am never going to do this again, like Peter, right? And then you fall again and you think, oh Lord, how weak am I? The Lord says, yeah, that's right. Your dependence needs to be on me. But failure is never final with God. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And all three times, what did Jesus say? He said, well, then feed my sheep. Jesus was teaching Peter something about what it means to love him. He is telling Peter that love for Jesus is to be seen in love for his sheep. Right? You can't separate Jesus from his sheep. If you love Jesus, you're going to love His sheep, love His people. Bruce Milne puts it this way, commitment to Christ involves commitment to the church of Christ. Jesus Christ is not a single person in the sense that He comes to us without other attachment. He is a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom He loves for whom He sacrificed Himself. So anybody who claims to love Jesus but doesn't love His church really doesn't understand what it means to love Jesus. You cannot separate Jesus from His church. Now this obviously applies to pastors. I can't say I love Jesus if I don't love His people. I can't say I love the Lord if I don't love the ones that I serve. This also applies to every believer. And so I ask you, do you love the church? Are you concerned about Jesus' sheep? Are you doing what you can to nourish and care for them? Do you miss gathering together? As I look at a church that I wish was full today, I miss the people. 
And if you don't miss these gatherings of, of worship together, if you don't miss uh, face-to-face uh, meeting with the people of God, then there's something wrong, isn't there? I hope you long. I hope, ab- I hope absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> that you love even more the people of God. When you love Jesus, you love the church. So along with fishing for men, feeding the sheep ought to be a priority as well. And then we come to the third section of this chapter. And we see then the priority of following Jesus. After Peter was recommissioned to feed the sheep, Jesus gives him a glimpse of what is going to be his life in the future. Verse 18, Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, when you were younger... You used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, Jesus had made it clear on many occasions that the commitment to follow him can be costly. How many times did he say, count the cost of discipleship? If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. You have to die to self daily. And so they knew that they could expect to be hated and persecuted and in some cases martyred for following him. In Peter's case, he would grow old, Jesus says, but the end of his life, that would be difficult. Notice the phrase, you will stretch out your hands. This is most likely a euphemism for for crucifixion. The New American Commentary says this statement was an accurate description of the ancient torturous execution procedure of crucifixion. The victim would be forced to carry the heavy cross beam over his shoulders and behind his neck and his arms and hands would be stretched out and tied to that cross beam. So Jesus is saying, Peter, this is what's in store for you. There will come a time when your arms will be stretched out and you will be carried where you don't want to go. And John says that by this kind of death he would glorify God now I'm not sure I want to know how I die I don't know maybe you do but or when I die I'd rather just say Lord okay that's in your hands but Peter was given that information and so he had a a question after he was told about his future he wanted to know about John's future what about what about him verse 20 Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, that's John, said to him, Lord, what about this man? Okay, now you've told me what's in store for me. I'm going to be crucified. What about him? What about John? I'm not sure exactly why Peter asked that question. Was it? Curiosity? (laughs) 
Was it concern for his close friend John? Was he wondering, Lord, is this, is this going to be the same result for him? Whatever it was that moved Peter to ask this, he might have wished he hadn't. Ever asked a question he wished you hadn't? <laughs> Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. He's like, whoa, I shouldn't have asked that question. Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. It's obvious that Jesus didn't want Peter to start comparing his future with John's future. Peter's attention was not to be on anyone else, even his buddy John, but on his own commitment to Jesus. One author says the ministries of Peter and John would be different. Peter would be the shepherd, John the seer. Peter the preacher, John the penman. Peter the foundational witness, John the faithful writer. Peter would die in the agony and passion of martyrdom. John would live on to great age and pass away in quiet serenity. And so these two guys, even though they were close friends, even though they were both disciples of Jesus, they had very different futures, very different gifts, very different experiences. Just like all of us, right? We're all different. And God has a different plan for each of us. Now, we can be grateful for the fellowship of other believers as we journey through life. But ultimately, our focus needs to be on Jesus. And that's why Jesus said to Peter for the second time in this section, You just follow me, Peter. You just follow me. Do you realize that comparing ourselves to others in the body of Christ is a trap? <laughs> it's a trap. And we must be determined to avoid falling into that trap. We all have different gifts. We all have different ministries. We all go through different experiences of life. And we'd be wise not to get sidetracked by comparing ourselves with others. Have you ever done that? Boy, that can be depressing. <laughs> Warren Wiersbe said, I recall a critical time in my own ministry when I was disturbed because other ministers were apparently getting God's blessing in abundance while I seemed to be reaping a meager harvest. I must confess that I envied them and wished that God had given their gifts to me. Then he says, but the Lord tenderly rebuked me by saying, what is that to you? You follow me. He says it was just the message I needed and I have tried to heed it ever since. What is that to you? You just follow me. Follow me. So here's the question. Are you following Jesus today? Are you willing to take the path that, that He has chosen for you? Saying, Lord, wherever You lead me, I will follow. I read about an older woman who loved the Lord with all her heart. And she would often pray, Lord, you be the needle and I'll be the thread. <laughs> you be the needle, I'll be the thread. That, are you willing to pray that prayer today from your heart? Lord, you be the needle, I'll be the thread. You just lead me and I will follow. Fishing for men. 
feeding the sheep, following Jesus. These are the priorities of a disciple. So are you fishing for men? Are you feeding the sheep? Are you following Jesus? That's what it means to be his disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this uh, uh, glorious chapter, this appearance to your disciples after your resurrection. And how you taught them, Lord Jesus, that they were to be fishers of men. You taught them that they were to care for the sheep. And you taught them that the the key to all of that, Lord Jesus, was following you. uh, Following you as you lead. And so, Father, would you enable us to do that, to follow as you lead to recognize that we are weak in ourselves and it is not us, but it is you, Lord Jesus, working through us. Lord, may you receive the glory for all that you accomplish in our lives as we seek to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.